Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. Good to see everyone here. Today is, as you heard, there's a softball tournament. And I don't know if this should be a ritual for us to talk about pride uh, before we play softball together, but so we'll see. <laughs> Events stir up a lot of pride. Competitions stir up a lot of pride uh, in me and I'm sure in some of you. And so maybe this is the helpful just preparation message for the day ahead. So I hope we, if you're playing, I hope you don't get hurt. Um, so stretch, stretch yourself out. So uh, we're in the middle, middle of this message series called Blindsided, and in, in life we get hit with things unexpectedly. Things sort of sneak up on us. Sometimes it's emotions, sometimes it's thoughts, sometimes attitudes sort of lurk and then pounce. And it, we are oftentimes unaware of these things, and we get blindsided by them. Sometimes we can't even see that we have a problem. Uh, pride is, is one of those areas where there's some obvious aspects to pride. Like we should all know, yeah, that was prideful. Sometimes we say things and we're like, oh, that was really prideful. I'm going to have to clean that up. I have to ask forgiveness or we just feel really dumb because maybe we pushed ourselves out there in pride. And sometimes it's really obvious we got into pride. Other times it sort of it is, has this blindsiding possibility where uh, there are some things that maybe angles in life that sort of bring pride in from a back door almost. And so we're going to look at both these things this morning, the obvious pride and then the less obvious areas of pride. So, so just to get us started, we're going to use a, a video clip from the movie Cars. And in the movie Cars, there's this hot shot racing car named Lightning McQueen, and he's tearing up the you know their version in animated world of like NASCAR. And uh, he he can he does the the everything on the big giant asphalt tracks, and he knows that really well. But he finds himself sort of off the beaten path, and you can watch the movie if you want to see how he, he lands in this small town, I think Radiator Springs. It's sort of like on Route 66, and it's this old forgotten town. And he ends up there, and he's this racing super superstar, but no one really knows who he is. Well, when he's there, he, he meets a real racing legend. And uh, this racing legend in this scene is about to give him some advice on how to how to make a turn on a dirt track. Now, Lightning McQueen is not used to racing on dirt tracks. He's used to racing on asphalt. And so he doesn't know how to handle his, his vehicle. And so he, but you can see he gets into pride and he can't even really see that he's got a problem with pride. So let's take a look. This ain't asphalt, son. This is dirt. Oh, great. What do you want? You here to glow? You don't have three wheel brakes, so you've got to pitch it hard, break it loose, and, and just drive it with a throttle. Give it too much, you'll be out of the dirt and into the tools. So you're a judge, a doctor, and a racing expert. I'll put it simple. If you're going hard enough left, you'll find yourself turning right. Oh, right. That makes perfect sense. Turn right to go left. Yes! Thank you! Or should I say no thank you? Because in opposite world, maybe that really means thank you! Crazy grandpa car. Idiot. Mm-hmm. Turn right to go left. Oh. 
some aspects of pride are, are more familiar. I mean, he's, he's a prideful character. You see it play out through the film. But again, there are just some behaviors that some of us, we, we don't necessarily recognize that, that we're getting into pride, unexpected connections to pride. And so now pride itself is at the root of so many of our problems in life. It is, it is uh, sort of the master sin of humanity is pride. Now here's a key reality with pride. Pride is so easy to see in others but, but not in ourselves. We can sort of see, oh, they've got a problem with this. And we have a hard time seeing it in the mirror. Jesus, he saw this and he taught on this. Check out his teaching at, on the Sermon on the Mount as far as in judging others. And this is a pretty familiar, famous uh, part of his sermon. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye, he, he asks this question. Now, when we read this, when we read the term speck of sawdust, we think, uh, sometimes when we think about sawdust, like if you're cutting on a table saw or you've got a skill saw or something, some, or even like a chop saw, the, the particles of sawdust, you know, they're really, they're like little tiny particles, little tiny fibers and for us, when you get something in your eye, it's sort of an irritant, you know. Uh, in Jesus' day, it was probably more than just like a tiny particle of sawdust. It's more like it would have been a splinter or a little twig or something because uh, they didn't have the, the power tools that you and I have. And so what he's talking about is not just this, oh, I, you know, I can wash it out. It's, it actually is, it would have been a splinter, and it's a big deal. Because getting a splinter, can you imagine getting a, a big splinter? of wood caught in your eye. I mean, that is, that's pretty painful. Okay, so he's saying start with that image in your mind, but then also you've got this plank, this log, or a beam that is protruding out of our own head. And it's like, <laughs> now how are you going to see the splinter in their eye when we've got this giant beam coming out of our head? And that's what Jesus is at. Why do you look at this splinter? And, and pay no attention. You don't even notice. <laughs> You're not even aware of this major issue. So Jesus is not saying, we sometimes read this passage and we think, oh, he's talking about small sin out there, large sin in here. That's more modern way of looking at it. Probably more accurate way of looking at it is splinter. That's a, that's a, that's a large sin in someone's life because a splinter is really painful, like a real splinter. Large sin out there, gigantic sin in here. That's more accurate read of, of what I think Jesus is driving at here. There is a problem out there. You notice, okay, this I notice this thing in this person's life. They clearly are doing something wrong. But I'm unaware that I am in enormous sin. I'm in enormously you know, I'm in a really bad spot. There's a giant problem here that I'm ignoring. So Jesus is putting this out there. Now look at verse four. How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? He says, you hypocrite, first first take the plank, figure out how, how do I remove this plank out of my own eye, and then I'll see clearly to remove the speck from my brother's eye. So f- essentially, first notice our own major areas of sin. Just notice where we are, get off track ourselves, confess that sin to God, repent of it, you know, deal with it, which oftentimes is, is it's just hard for us to do because of something called self-righteousness. We have areas in our life, major areas of sin, that we don't often see. 
We see others, but we don't see our own. We notice a little bit of pride a lot of the time in other people, and we can barely see a lot of pride in our own, in our own life. It's so easy to judge others and what they do wrong. Now, I don't even notice when I'm being prideful a lot of times. It's, it's not until after the fact that I rehearse the tapes of what I just said or what I just did, and then it's really painful. Because then I realize, oh, that, that must have been so arrogant. Those people must have been, that was, it just took a lot of grace probably to, to stomach that. I mean, I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there many times. Where after the fact, I don't see it in the moment. It's just usually as I'm reflecting on the day or what I said or the interactions I had, it's painful. Whether marriage or friendships, because sometimes in, in marriage, you know, if you're having a disagreement, you're, you can't see the, the plank. All you can see is the splinter. <laughs> and you're just whacking people with the plank. And you're, you're, you know, and you're so concerned about the splinter, and then later on, God shows you the plank, and you're like, oh, I feel so dumb. Wherever you're at today, I hope today will provide some key ways to do some things. Number one, diagnose where does pride come from. Two, look at the damage it causes. And three, figure out what to do about pride. And again, I want to look at more of the blindsided aspect of pride, not just pride in general. We'll look at a little bit about an aspect we're all familiar with, but we'll also look about at something I think that'll be probably we, we spend less time connecting the dots to pride. And so, so that's what we're going to do, diagnose, damage, and do. So let's start with diagnosing together the source of pride. This is found on your listening guide, some of the verses I've got listed out for you. So I want to go back to one of the earliest accounts found in the Bible again and in human history. And so we'll look briefly to start in the Garden of Eden. God makes Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, puts them in the garden and gives them free reign throughout the garden, except he gives them one boundary. You, you, you are not to eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat from it, God says, you will surely die. The rest, enjoy. He gives them assignments, responsibilities, clear roles. But here's the boundary, this one boundary. Now Satan gets involved, in, in and here's, here's where things go off track. Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5. It says, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. He calls into question some things. He's challenging something. You won't surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan comes in the form of a serpent. He just inhabits a serpent at that point. He tempts the woman through this serpent by telling her that, it's okay to break through the boundaries that God has established really clearly. It's okay. You're not going to surely die. And Adam is standing right there beside Eve. And part of Satan's strategy here is to angle and aim towards their pride. So they both take a bite. Eve is deceived. Adam actually, he, the direct command from God was given to him. And so he sinned full well knowing what he'd done was wrong. But they take a bite. Sin enters the world and humanity. Now is the curse uh, of, upon us. This is our default now. Uh, they gave in. This is known as the master sin, pride. It's the master sin. And I want to really flesh this out even further. What Satan is really saying is, look, guys, you, 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 know, you can be like God. You're, you're not God. He, he, he just sort of 
He almost just points it out to them like, you're not God. You're below God. You realize that? You're below God right now. You're subservient to God. He, you take orders from God. And it's almost like the serpent sort of rubbing it, you know. Do you, do you realize that, Adam and Eve? You're, 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 you're subservient. You serve him. He's the master over you. You're the serpent. But you don't have to be below him anymore. You don't have to be in this place. The temptation was this. There's some knowledge. There's some experience that, that God has that's off limits right now for you guys. Don't you want to be all-knowing like God? Don't you want to be on his level where you know everything? Don't, don't, why limit yourself? You're here. You could be here. Why not level up with God? And this, is, this is the temptation. And you won't surely die. That's, that's the lie right there. You won't surely die. And so the progression sort of starts to question and challenge what God has said. Did God really say this? Did he really say that? Nah, he, he won't surely die. Now, she could have said, yeah, he did, didn't he? And Adam could have said, he, he certainly did. We're not going to do that. Leave us alone. Instead, they linger, they linger, they linger, and they're taken. This looks really good. It looks really good. How long have we lingered before things that we knew were off limits? But we lingered too long until it just grabs hold of us and we, we choose to rebel. He appeals. I think one of the things he's appealing to is, is their insecurity. You're incomplete right now. You're not like God in, in, in you know, you, you, there's something missing. And he's, this point of insecurity, I think, is, is something that is uh, an angle that I want to look at this morning. But that's, that's at the heart of the rebellion. And in fact, once they rebelled, this has been the struggle ever since for humanity. We just struggle with pride in different forms. Here, here's a more familiar form of pride is, is something called narcissism, where we need to be the center of attention. Need to be in the spotlight. Need to be on the pedestal. Need to win. Need others to admire us. Narcissism. Uh, the Greek god Narcissus was a handsome man. This is Greek mythology. A handsome man who many people just really, really fell in love with him. And so, here's a painting of Narcissus. He's just so handsome. Everyone needs to be impressed by him. And he would just look down on people. He treated others with contempt and disdain. And he just, he was just so much more handsome. And he literally, in mythology, it says, he literally got stuck on himself. He saw his own reflection in a pool, didn't realize it was himself, and didn't, his, he was so, he fell in love with this image of himself. And that's how the story kind of goes. It destroys him in that way. This, this idea of self-obsession can show up in our desire to brag, to pretend, to inflate, to exaggerate, to manipulate, to protect. This is, it's sort of painful to think about the many ways that pride creeps in. We start doing this ourselves. Here's an example of narcissism from a, a British sketch comedy. So like sort of a skit. And uh, you can see narcissism at play in this. Lionel, glad you could make it. Can I get you a drink? Yeah, something soft. I'm driving. Parking is an absolute nightmare around here, isn't it? Had to reverse into the tiniest of spaces. Still, I managed it. I mean... Parking is not exactly brain surgery, is it? (laughs) 
And I should know. Why is that? Are you a doctor? Careful. Not a doctor. I'm a brain surgeon. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah, I actually know a joke about this. What's the difference between a doctor and a brain surgeon? One's not exactly brain surgery. The other is brain surgery. Um, so, uh, what do you guys do? I'm an accountant. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I could do with an accountant. Pulling in those tax forms can get really confusing, can't it? Still, it's not exactly brain surgery, is it? I mean, brain surgery, believe me, is very complex. Are you an accountant, too? Uh, no, I work for a charity. Oh, that's a very selfless job, isn't it? I really admire you. I don't think I could ever do what you do. <laughs> I say that because it's emotionally draining, not because it's hard. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> Which, as a brain surgeon, is what I do. I know, here's a drink. Lionel's a brain surgeon, you know. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned it. <laughs> Jeff, they keep you late at the space centre. As always. Have you met Lionel? Uh, no, hello, Lionel. So, Jeff, how do you earn a crust? Uh, oh, I'm a scientist. I, I work mainly with rockets. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty tough work. Um, what do you do? Why, well, I don't mean to boast, but uh, I'm a brain surgeon. Brain surgery? <laughs> Oh, exactly rocket sound. <laughs> so that's narcissism. We probably all experienced that where people get, you know, running and bragging with their mouths and we're, we're tempted. Do I get involved and do I try to steal the spotlight or do I back away? Because <laughs> this isn't going to go well. Now, that, that's sort of obvious, though. That's, that's a display of pride. Now, here's what blindsides us, is, is that insecurity, actually, is one way that this is a subtle way. Pride can grow out of insecurity, and this is where I think we, it, it can sneak up on us. You might feel really insecure for whatever reason. could be your competence, could be your looks, could be your past, could be your status, could be your current role. Whatever it is, you just, you just long for people to think better of you. And, and you want people to like you. That, that comes out of pride, and there's an insecurity there. And so here's some signs that insecurity might be driving your pride. These aren't in the listening guide, but you can certainly jot them down if you'd like to. Number one, you compare yourself to others. You compare yourself to others. It, it's one thing to track with people in order to grow and to learn from them and celebrate with them. It's one thing to, whether that's through social media or just maybe you're just, sort of want you keeping an eye on a person sort of tracking with them it's one thing to do that in order to to be sharpened and to learn and and to uh, maybe be challenged by other people's lives it's a totally different thing to track with others and in order to see how do i stack up with them that's very different it's very dangerous men women dads moms you know you're looking at people in, in the same stage of life doing what you know doing what maybe what you're doing, and you, it's tempting to sort of just try to see how you measure up. Students, heading into careers, business owners, ministry leaders, it's very easy just to sort of look around and, and just to sort of figure out where do I rank in this thing. And this really hits us. 
And it's easy to get into something like comparagance. You just sort of start comparing in order to in order to become better. Another sign. Your your self-worth is determined by your latest performance. If you're a, if you're a driven person who needs accomplishments or who just typically is driven by accomplishments and winning, then when you win, all is good in, in the world. When you don't, it's, it's really tough. And so your identity gets attached to this. Tim Keller uh, puts it this way. He, he said, when work is your identity, success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. And so we have to watch this and not attach our worth to our accomplishments. Third, you can't celebrate someone else's success. This is another aspect of insecurity. If you're insecure, then someone else's victory means your loss. In other words, you can't help but wonder why you didn't see the same results. And so you hear about some good news for someone else, and instead of celebrating the good news, you're, you're, all you can see is you didn't do that. You didn't achieve that. You've lost in that. You're lacking that. And that's, that's all we can focus on. And since you're tempted to feel bad about yourself, you can't feel good about the accomplishments of others. Now, that's a, that's a problem. That, that's pride is creeping in through that insecurity. And it's dangerous. Fourth, you squeeze gifted people out of your life. You don't like to compete with them. You, you don't want others to, to shine. And so ask yourself, how comfortable am I around people I think are better than me, even at things I'm good at? How does that make me feel? Am I comfortable with them? Am I threatened by them? Fifth, you want some say in everything. You have input. And you, you want to talk. Uh, you want to share your input. If it's a group, it's like, I, I got I to gotta get involved in this. Even if, it, if time is winding down and, and the discussion is coming to a close, you, you, do you, the question is, do I always have to get my two cents in? Do I always have to be heard and everything? And maybe we do know so much, and that's why we always have a comment. But remember how annoying that was when we were in kindergarten? <laughs> when the kindergartner always had to be talking? Oh, I know this. I know this. I know. It's not any different for adults. It's still not fun for people. <laughs> still like oh here we go so pride comes from our rebellion but this is also an area where we get blindsided it often comes through insecurity and that that's it starts fueling this pride now we've looked first at the the diagnosis knowing where it comes from it's it's contrary to the ways of god this is disastrous in fact there's some consequences i want to look at so here's the damage here's how pride damages us check out this passage from the new testament clarifies the damage done by pride. James writes this, Who is wise and understanding among you? James writes, Let him show it by his good life. This is the wise person. Show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The wise people are the, the humble. The wise are the humble. They have real understanding. There's real wisdom. But, verse 14, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, like these things are in the heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Now, this is stuff that is like the devil's playground, but it's in the heart. 
it's, it's internal. Selfish ambition. Bitter envy. You know, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find every, or you find disorder in every evil practice. James describes that pride is not something to boast about. It's not something to, to, to be proud of. You shouldn't take it lightly, he's saying. There's all these strong words that he's describing about pride. So that's alarming. But if you're not alarmed enough, there's something even more uh, alarming, something greater at stake. It's, it's this, is that pride hardens our heart. You want to keep your heart soft towards God, towards people, and pride will harden your heart. That's dangerous. Now, how does this form? What's the recipe? What does it look like? Well, it starts sort of like this. We think we're superior. It leads us to being judgmental and also unaccountable. And then fourth, so much so that we become isolated from people. These are marks of pride. We find ourselves very much a lone ranger in life, cut off. Hardened, unable to break through. It's hard for people to break through to us when we get to this point. And once we get into these four characteristics, the hardening process really has begun. And you might wonder, well, what's the big deal about having a hard heart? Well, God wants our hearts to be soft and tender and responsive to him. And if our hearts get hard to him, he, he, he's not able, he respects, uh, he, he, he respects that and he won't just... override that he, he he wants to work with people whose hearts are soft and tender to him and so we want to keep our hearts workable pliable we want we want our hearts to be responsive to the things of god whether it's god speaking to us through the bible or in our private time with him or at church or in a small group or in conversations we want we want to keep a soft heart towards god because if our hearts get if our hearts get hard Towards God, things just bounce, his words bounce off of us, people bounce off of us, and pride is very costly in this way. It's damaging. It'll cost you friendships. It'll cost you intimacy, respect. You'll lose opportunities in life. You, you won't get good rest. You won't have peace of mind. You'll lose money. You'll lose wisdom. It's very costly. So there's the diagnosis. There's the damage. But God wants to show us what to do about it. And so here's the thing. Nothing shatters pride like humility. Nothing. This is the antidote. This is what blows up pride. Notice those little bullets there are little bombs. That's intentional. How do you blow up a hard-hearted uh, pride? It, it's you, you, there's some things that need to happen. Number one, it's really helpful. Jesus, humility comes in three different ways primarily. And so the first is, is really helpful to cultivate humility at a young age. You want to develop this from early on in life. This is this is plan A. This is to be the best thing, is that you, you learn it when you're young. This is what we hope. This is a helpful picture of, of what humility practically looks like. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That That's... Plan A, that would be the best thing, is that we would learn that from childhood, teenage years, that we would really be developing that. The challenge is we all have self-interest. We, we want to put ourselves first, but part of what helps us is when we're trained at a very young age to, to think that you are, to think that we're not the center of the universe. 
That's, that's really helpful if that comes early on. So as you raise kids, some of you are parents, or some of you will be parents, and as you're raising kids or as you're relating to your grandkids, if you're a grandparent, it's key to help them see the pride that is operating inside them. It's, it's really important to not let that go unchecked. That needs to be talked about. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be prayed for. It needs to be, that needs to be challenged. When, the, when, when your kids see pride at work in the world, when they see, wow, someone's really into pride, go ahead and stop and, and talk about what that was like and why that's so dangerous. Not in a judging way, but just in an instructive way. It's a reminder that, that kids would see just how prevalent this problem really is and how much they're going to have to battle in this world. And one of the main, uh, one of the most instructive aspects of this, if you are a parent, is just to admit your own pride and to repent of it and to humble yourself before your kids and say, you know what, dad was being prideful there. And that's really hard to do. But it's very instructive for what they take away from, from being in your home if you establish that as a pattern. Parents aren't perfect. Parents, parents blow it. I mean, there's not a perfect parent in the room. And if you're not a parent, don't think, well, I'll be, I'll be the perfect parent when I am a parent. <laughs> you're going to struggle. It's hard. There's so much pressure on, on us as parents, on you as parents. There's a lot of pressure. And when you blow it in this area, admit it. When I was playing sports growing up, this was a problem. Pride was a problem big time in my, in my own heart. And now as a dad... It's still a problem in my own heart. <laughs> I want, I mean, I, I've always been, I, I want to win. I want to achieve. I want to break a goal. I want to do better. And so naturally the thought is, I want you to win. I want you to achieve. I want you to break goals. I want you to do better. And so it's very, very difficult as a parent in this. And it just shows up and it's just like, oh, so hard. And I just have personally having to wrestle, wrestle, wrestle this down. And I, and I feel like there's more losses than wins at points. And even in that, just humbling myself before my kids and saying, you know what, Dad set a really bad example in that moment or with that situation. And, you know, for you, maybe, maybe sports is not the area where it shows up. I, I, I'd encourage you to think through where does this show up. Where do you feel like, oh, this is the area I really enjoy and have, this has been my world. I don't know if it's in, in some other area, but consider that. And then how is that a place to instruct your kids from? You want to teach, model, train this when they're young. And if it's cultivated at a young age, it will help them over the long haul. Uh, but as we get older, if, it's, if it doesn't get cultivated, then something different happens. And it's crucial to pay attention when God humbles you. That's the kind way of saying this point. Pay attention when God humbles you. Or another way I could say is pay attention when God humiliates you. That's the more painful way of putting it. That's We're like, ah, oh, that was humiliating. Have you been there? Have you been humiliated? God loves us so much, and he wants to lead us. And to do this, sometimes he just brings about humiliation. Being humiliated is never something that we hope to wake up and, and see on our schedule for the day. And you go, what's on the calendar for today? Oh, 3 o'clock, humiliation wonder what that's going to look like. And we, we don't want that, but humiliation actually can develop us. Or we can just decide to resist that and just grow harder in our heart and then keep walking into situations that are completely humiliating 
and not learning. And they're damaging us or damaging people around us. Here's the example Jesus gave, Luke 14. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Jesus said, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Don't take the best seat in the house. Why? Well, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. Verse 9, if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, uh, hey, give this man your seat. <laughs> this is his seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Look at verse 10. But here's another approach. When you are invited, take the lowest place. Sit sit in the, the back of the room. Start, start there. Now, I'm not talking about in a church setting. I prefer people to sit closer to the front. So don't say, don't say he gave me permission. But at a wedding feast, okay, at, a, at, a, at an event like that, he's saying, you know, take the, take the back seat. Just choose the lowest place. In those environments, you take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you're, you're honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. Now, this is a promise. Look at verse 11. For everyone who, who exalts himself will be humbled. This is a promise. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The path, go, it passes through humility. You, you take lower steps and let God exalt you in his time, in his way. If you follow Christ and choose pride as a pattern in your own life, God will come against you. If you choose humility, he will help you. That's the idea here. And we're reminded of this reality. Look at James 4, 6. God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. He, he opposes us when we're in pride. This is a picture of deciding to go toe-to-toe with the God of the universe. You step in the ring, you're like, oh, I wonder who's going to show up to fight me today. Uh-oh. That's what pride does. We're lining up against the God of the universe, and he will humble those who exalt themselves. This is crazy. So it's a good time to just, if we are experiencing some, any form of humbling or humiliation, to check ourselves and see, what has got me to this place? I want to I really... Respond rather than stiffening my neck or hardening my my heart any further. I want to respond so I learn from this and and experience the change. Now, one final way which really allows humility to become more of who we are is this: when we invite and practice humility. This is the choice. This is the choice. This is be you know, it's just this is what you can do now, regardless of what has happened in the past. So this is why James reads this: humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. So we can choose to be humble. If it, didn't, if it didn't happen when we were kids, don't be disappointed at that. Like, wow, I didn't get challenged in me and it's my parents' fault. I am who I am now and they should have done it. Don't, don't be disappointed at that. Or don't, don't just wait till the next humiliation. Instead, invite God and practice choosing humility. Take humility's stepping down in the garden you can be like god hey step up humility is taking a step down taking a lower position so as i wrap up what does this look like practically here's the do here's the practice of humility first never lose your gratitude show gratitude express gratitude to god to others gratitude puts things in its in their proper place every day when we realize my life is not self-made god has given me more than i deserve or realize, choose gratitude. Second, take the low place. Serve someone in your life. Instead of demanding someone do something for you, instead choose to do something in service to them. 
Even if it's not your job, even if it's not your role, sir, be a blessing. This has a way of keeping us humble. Third, push others into the spotlight. Help others get credit. Even when you want credit for yourself, help others. Many times pride says, well, what about me? Humility says, did you see what they just did? How can I help shove other people right into the spotlight? Today is going to be a great opportunity to do this at the softball game. (laughs) Encourage people. I mean, be an encourager to people. This is hard. The last time I sprinted was last year at the softball game. (laughs) I mean, there's no time I need to run that fast for anything. I mean, and so... So for those of us who probably shouldn't be out there anymore, I mean, encourage the folks that are giving this a shot still, you know, and, and, and just be an encouragement to people today. I want to show you how that, that movie Cars sort of has seen it near the end. Lightning McQueen, rather than needing to be in the spotlight, he recognizes that Doc Hudson actually knows what he's doing out there. And so take a look at this scene. Hopefully that doesn't happen to you when you try to encourage someone, you know. <laughs> Doc didn't know anybody was watching him. He just he was just racing like that because he loves to race. He's doing what he loved to do. Wasn't doing it for praise. He's just doing it. Lightning saw, wow, this guy knows what he's doing, and he he just he wanted to make sure that that was clear. Here's one last thing: get ridiculously honest with yourself and God. We need to constantly be checking our motives. And when, whenever we're facing jealousy or bitterness, ask the hard questions like, why am I against them on this situation? Why am I mad at God in this situation? Many times there's just questions that reveal a blocked goal or an expectation that we're holding on to. And so get honest with yourself. Get honest with God. And getting time, you know, way to get honest with God is get time in his word each day. This is how you get honest with God. God, speak to me. Speak to me. I need to hear your words on life. I need your perspective. I need your angle right now. Many times in our own lives, it's our time with God where God shows us our pride, our hardness of our own heart, and he can speak into that. A jump, a, word, a verse will just sort of jump off the page and say, this is for you right now. Respond. And God just speaks to us in that way. I want to encourage you. However pride manifests itself in your life, that you'd not just be okay with it because this has damaging damaging consequences and effects so there's some next steps you can consider taking on the back there this week you can invite humility by and just be specific there or that bottom line you can just be more specific if there's something that god has really said to you there's a verse you can memorize on humility there as well so let's pray father thank you for this time and for especially lord uh thank you so much for allowing us inviting us to know you personally you are you are you are the god of the universe you made all of this you made us you your word says that you actually made us like you but we we are not you we just we admit that there there is a god and it we aren't him 
And at the same time, you have given us a very, very special place in your creation with a role to play, a purpose to fulfill, and with the help that we need from you. We're, we're very, very dependent people. We do not get far on our own, in our own flesh, in our own power, in our own strength. We are just not capable, Lord. So, God, uh, you've reminded us of that this morning. And, and I pray, God, that that would be a point for us to just stay close to you, stay connected to you, stay soft and tender in our hearts before you so you could keep shaping us into the people that, that you could use, Lord. We ask you for your help. We also pray for safety today, Lord, at the softball tournament and uh, just connections, Lord, as we head further into this uh, springtime, head towards summer. We pray you'd deepen relationships even today at the softball tournament. Help, help people to really connect with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.